I'll be reading chapter 4 of Fire in the Mountains. Shoto did his best to avoid all of them after that. He found no one would stop him from wandering the castle, so he explored. He bathed at night after they all gone to sleep, or gotten into bed at least. He'd sit for long, meandering hours in the hot steam by himself and take in the seclusion and solitude. They would usually be asleep when he got back, and if they didn't if he didn't look too closely in the dark, he didn't have to guess at what they'd been doing when he was gone. He was frustratingly satisfied with the clothing Kotsky had sent him. He didn't need any help dressing, for one, and he could actually move around in the loose leather breeches and draping tunics and fur throws. He'd gifted Shoto light colors, fawn leather, and more snow-white fur and undyed wool. All of it fit without alterations. The loose cuts were forgiving but also surprisingly warm. And without his father around to taunt, Shoto didn't mind forgoing his drab black palette. Even though Shoto slept as often as he could when the others were around, and found as much time to be alone as he was allowed, he still noticed certain things. Mina had a room where she could practice her alchemy nearby. She told Shoto in passing that Kotsky had forbidden her from mixing things in the bedroom after she'd nearly poisoned them all in their sleep with a mismeasured concoction. Kiri liked to disappear for hours to go flying. Dinky was an incorrigible flirt, making every servant he came across bless and giggle. The three of them got along quite well without Kotsky, much to Shoto's chagrin, and with Kotsky there, well, Shoto learned to avoid those times. He also learned that Kotsky spent alone time with each of them, and the day before the caravan was scheduled to arrive, it was Shoto's turn. He was surprised when he looked up from a book he'd found on outland battle strategy and found Kotsky staring at him with a flat expression, arms crossed over his chest. Shoto blinked at him and said reflexively, My lord. He'd been alone with Kot- he hadn't been alone with Kotsky or spoken to him in any more than passing since the incident in the bathhouse. He hadn't apologized for cursing at Kotsky and storming out on him. He probably should, based purely on the fact that it wasn't a good idea to scream at a king, but he was used to fighting with Enji, saying rude, rebellious things, having horrible things said back, and then, the next morning, proceeding as if nothing out of the ordinary had occurred. Kotsky didn't correct him, But he did stand up a little straighter, and Shoto actually saw him stop himself from rolling his eyes. (sighs) Will you join me for dinner? Shoto lifted his chin to hide his shock, 
and when his thoughts began to race, dissecting everything Kotsky hadn't said, will you, not would you like? But it was still a question, one he could decline. But then will, not would. Yes, my lord. He could almost feel Kotsky's exasperation, and he really did roll his eyes this time. But he held out his hand. Shoto looked down at it. Now, my lord? Kotsky shrugged with one shoulder. Well? Shoto took his hand, and it was even warmer than Shoto's, calloused in strange places. Shoto had touched his hand before, when they'd been married, but Shoto had forgotten. Shoto very br briefly wondered if he was properly dressed. He was having a hard time telling which of the pieces Kotsky had given him were intended for more formal occasions. Kotsky was wearing high-waisted breeches and a leather and fur vest that didn't join, so Shoto could still see his entire scarred and tattooed chest when he moved. Shoto liked to think that that was rather formal, but then again, Kotsky had attended their wedding with no shirt at all, so he was hardly any judge. Kotsky led them out of the room, down a few more familiar hallways, and then held the door for him into a quiet, intimate dining area with a huge fireplace and more furs thrown on the floor. There was already food set out on the table, and while Shoto was busy looking around for servants, Kotsky wordlessly started moving food from the platter onto plates and Shoto experienced a very strange moment of vertigo. Kotsky was serving his own food. He was serving Shoto's. Shoto hesitated just inside the doorway, eyes flickering around the orange-lit stones. Kotsky looking at, looked at him over his shoulder then and motioned wordlessly to a chair, so Shoto sat down. And then Kotsky did. Shoto stared at him, but he just started to eat, slicing into a huge slab of meat and jabbing it with his fork. Shoto started to do the same a little suspiciously. Kotsky said without looking up from his plate, White looks good on ya. Shoto looked down at himself and then said, Thank you. Kotsky looked at him, up at him and said mildly, Do you like it? Shoto almost replied reflexively, said yes without thinking. Our clothes are pretty different from yours. I do, Shoto said, surprised to find that he was being genuine. They're more practical and comfortable. Thank you. Kotsky blinked a little and glanced down at his food, the shadow of a smile playing on his lips. He took another bite of food. Where does it come from? 
Shoto asked, reaching out a little tentatively for a conversation that wouldn't end in a screaming match. After the last one, he'd spent hours furious with himself, wondering how he could possibly keep this up if he couldn't stand the sight of Kotsky and Kotsky couldn't stand the sight of him. Mmm, Kotsky hummed, mouthful of food. Rabbits and foxes mostly. Their coats change in the winter, when the snow comes. They're harder to hunt then, so white furs are rare. Shoto blinked and thoughtlessly touched the fur trim on his tunic. He had a whole trunk full of them, a bed full, and he'd only seen Kotsky wear white once. Mina and Denki and Kiri? Never. Thank you, Shoto said quietly. I didn't realize. Uh, I've never had much use for fur. Kotsky chuckled. <laughs> We'd die without him, he said. Winters are harsh. Shoto nodded. It was barely autumn, and he was already walking around wearing warmer clothing than he'd ever had to wear during all the fiercest winters back home. The caravan'll be here tomorrow, Kotsky said when the silence had gone on too long. We'll have a celebration for you. Thank you, my lord. It'll be fun, Kotsky said. Food and drink and music and fighting. Fighting, Shoto said, lifting his head. Kotsky chewed and nodded. <laughs> Lots of it. There'll be a sort of tournament first. Winner gets to challenge whoever they want. Kotsky fixed Shoto with a wide, manic grin and flexed his fingers. <laughs> Been a while since I got to go all out. You'll fight? Shoto said in surprise. Kotsky rolled his eyes and shrugged. <laughs> they always challenge me. Shoto peered into his plate. They had tournaments back home. That wasn't terribly strange, he supposed. Of course, Inji would never participated for fun. <laughs> no such thing as a good celebration without a good fight, Kotsky said cheerfully. It made Shoto's fingers itch. Inji had trained him in private, carefully selected magic tutors and hand-to-hand -hand experts. It was all he'd ever known cold, sterile scenarios, always holding back to keep from really hurting anyone, people letting him win. You won't have to, though, Kotsky said, looking up from his food. Shoto, Shoto looked at him in silence, and Kotsky chuckled. <laughs> My soldiers saw you flare up when your daddy handed you over to us, so they won't fuck with you. He said very reassuring. He shrugged. Shoto prickled. Instead of saying what he wanted to, he said, Soldiers? Koski shook his head. The caravan was mostly soldiers, he explained with a shrug. Was worried King Shit for Brains was planning on some kind of sneak attack. That's why my family stayed behind. Shoto blinked into his food 
and was a little perturbed to realize he didn't exactly blame Kotsky for his suspicions. Kotsky drained his drink. Shoto had been working more slowly on his. It was alcoholic, and Shoto didn't quite understand outland alcohol. It tasted spicy instead of strong, and it was easy to drink more than was wise. Kotsky peered into his empty cup and then pounded it three times on the table. The other door to the room, the one they hadn't come in, opened instantly, and Kotsky lifted his cup with a single glance towards the door. The door closed, and the servant returned a moment later with more drink. Kotsky held up his glass and looked her in the eye as she poured, and and she smiled at him. It made Shoto's skin crawl. Shoto had never known a good man who looked at serving girls like that. She filled Shoto's cup too, but he barely noticed, and then she cleared away their plates and brought them spiced apples for dessert. Thank you, Kotsky said when she set a plate down in front of him. Shoto's skin prickled some more, and he stared at Kotsky as she gave Shoto his plate. Kotsky stared back. A moment lengthened, and Kotsky's face got darker by degrees. It wasn't until he glanced to the side that Shoto realized the servant was still standing beside him, watching him expectantly. That'll be all, Shoto said a little shortly. He remained unamused by Kotsky's servant's antics. Oh, the servant said quietly. Kotsky said sharply, wait, when she turned to go, and then he glared at Shoto, and Shoto almost looked around in alarm, wondering what he'd done. They'd been enjoying a passably civil meal, after all. That is not how you speak to her, Kotsky said sharply. Shoto blinked. Excuse me? She brought you food. Shoto looked down at his plate, and then he looked around quizzically at the servant, who was blushing a little, but giving Shoto a fierce, insolent look. Yes, it's perfectly adequate, Shoto said, voice rising a little at the end. Thank her, Kotsky said sharply. Shoto's brows rose. Thank. You want me to... What? Shoto's head actually spun a little. Kotsky had thanked her. And now that Shoto had thought of it, everyone had thanked the servants. His mouth fell open a little. He'd thanked a servant once, as a boy, and Inji had screamed at him for an hour about his place in the world, and what it meant to be royalty, about how he was better than anyone else, and he should act like it. Inji never spoke to a servant except to summon one, or reprimand one, and, well, Shoto hadn't agreed with him for one second, but perhaps he'd learned only to thank his own servants in private when no one else was around. Thank you, he said to the servant girl, a little hushed. Very much.
She gave him a stern sort of look and then left, and Shoto thought of the servants who had brought him Kotsky's trunk, thought of them waiting to be acknowledged for their service. Kotsky furiously speared an apple with his fork, and Shoto tried something with Kotsky that he'd never would have attempted at home. A truth, a vulnerability. One that couldn't possibly be twisted to his advantage. One that was simply an explanation. I was raised not to acknowledge servants unless they had done something poorly, he said honestly, hoping Kotsky could hear the hint of apology in his voice. Kotsky blew out a livid huff of air and said, of course you were. You've got your pretty formal clothes and your pretty stupid fucking ceremony, and you all use it to cover up how fucking rude and cold and condescending you are. Shoto ma- opened his mouth to protest, to admit that maybe Kotsky had the right of it. Maybe Shoto had been wrong after all, but now Kotsky was in a rage, the likes of which Shoto hadn't really ever seen before. Why the fuck am I even trying to? He speared another apple and then looked up when he said, When I know, you're just waiting for a chance to spit in my face. That's not. You spoiled, petty, contrary. I wasn't trying to. No wonder Inji couldn't wait to get you off his hands. Fuck. No wonder if your daddy is half as bad as you are. No wonder Big Brother turned traitor. Shoto's vision narrowed to a single point. The red of Kotsky's irises. And he did something he had not done in years, since the last time Enji had said something so disgusting. Shoto had to put every ounce of his willpower into not attempting to commit treason. He stood up, and he left. He forced his legs to move, forced one foot in front of the other, and he got himself out of the room as quickly as he could, because if he listened to Kotsky rage, for one more second, Shoto was going to kill him. He paced the halls for at least an hour, before he thought he could return to the room without setting something on fire. He'd actually singed the fur he was wearing, which disappointed him as much as it satisfied him. On the one hand, he'd destroyed something rare and beautiful in a fit of rage. But on the other, he'd destroyed something Kotsky valued. He did value it. He'd given it to Shoto as a gift, and he valued it. Shoto couldn't understand him. Shoto had called him contemptible to his face, and he barely flinched. But Shoto had neglected to thank a fucking servant? And Kotsky had flown into a rage. He was so angry his brain wasn't working properly. Everything usually felt cold and crystal clear. Clearly he had to murder Kotsky Bakugo. Clearly that was his only option. But when he tried to think back over the time he'd spent pacing, and tried to talk himself out of his fury, he found it was all twisted up. 
so he couldn't focus. And that is how he passed that night and all of the next day. The caravan arrived. Shoto apologized to Ida for rushing off without him, thanked him for tending to Shoto's things. Servants came and ushered Shoto into the baths, and then brushed and oiled his hair and gave him a long, luscious white fur overcoat with no sleeves that trailed almost down to his knees and tied loosely in the front with a single leather throng. Shoto didn't remember the food. He didn't remember the drink. He didn't even remember most of the fighting which was varied and skilled and met with much frivolity from the onlookers. He remembered glaring through Kotsky giving some generic welcoming speech. He remembered Kotsky glaring at him when no one was looking and only speaking to him when he absolutely had to. He actually came out of his fog of simmering rage long enough to watch Mina fight a man three times her size and win handedly. She was whip-fast and tricky, flinging glass vials that ate through armor and created billowing smoke when they hit the ground that she snuck through in order to take her opponent's legs out from under him. She fought Dinky next, and it was a close fight until he released one huge spike of lightning that made the hair on Shoto's arm stand on end. Then they both collapsed in a heap and the fight was declared a draw. A new set of contenders was placed on the field, and Shoto went back to furiously glaring at Koski out of the corner of his eye. They were outside, and it was cold, but Shoto barely felt it. Huge fires were lit, and stoked higher as the night fell. All in all, it was possibly the most raucous party Shoto had ever seen and he couldn't drag himself out of the swirling fire in his head to actually enjoy it, or at the very least, seriously study it. Everything came to a sharp, clear focus, however, when a tournament champion was declared. Kotsky sat up a little straighter in his chair and sounded almost cheerful He had, than he had all night when he said, "'Well, Fought Warrior, issue your challenge!' The warrior, a wiry man with a thick beard and a huge sword, pointed at Shoto. Kotsky laughed coldly, and an amused chuckle went through the assembled warriors. Shoto looked around in, surpri- in surprise, his blood suddenly singing. Ida, who'd been standing behind him all night, suddenly muttered, This is, is not... But Kotsky stood and said, That's your choice, warrior? But I have a feeling it'll be a dull fucking fight. Everyone knows Outland warriors have no match. Everyone cheered, and Shoto felt heat and cold gathering in his hands. He ground his teeth. The warrior pointed at Shoto again, but he looked at Kotsky when he said very loudly, Is this foreign prince just a pretty prize, my king? Kotsky smirked. (laughs) Maybe not. He glanced at Shoto, and his eyes scraped over Shoto like Shoto was something rotten. Shoto felt his lip curl. 
but he's not an outland warrior yet. I can, Shoto started to hiss, but then the warrior pointed at Kotsky and said, Then stand for him, my king. A truly boisterous cheer went up, and no one heard Shoto protesting. Kotsky's voice was utterly vicious when he said, Gladly. And he actually shot down to the ring below him, hands thrust to his sides and magic flaring from them in a violent eruption. Shoto leaned back in his chair, hands shaking with fury, with adrenaline, because he'd thought for one second that maybe he could. And then the fight started, and Shoto's thoughts trickled away like so much ash. This was not a fair fight, even close. Shoto had watched a truly impressive display of prowess all day and into the evening, but it was nothing compared to what he saw now. Kotsky was a blur. He didn't move like a normal man. He used explosions gathered in his palms to propel him around the ring, and he punched and kicked with fury propulsion just as frequently as he actually aimed magical blast at his opponent. The fight was the shortest one they'd seen all night. Kotsky looked almost disappointed when he kicked his opponent in the head and the man went down and didn't get back up. The crowd erupted, the barbarians screaming and clapping their hands and stomping their feet. A few men ran out to drag the unconscious warrior off the field. Kotsky frowned and said loudly, What? Really? None of you pansies can last more than a few minutes anymore? It seemed like poor sportsmanship to Shoto, but the barbarians just screamed even louder, and some of them started chanting his name. Kotsky said, That was too fast. Anyone want to take his place? The barbarians started laughing joyously. They were chanting his fucking name. Prince Shoto. Ida said sharply. The shock in his voice was the only reason Shoto knew he was standing. Kotsky kept turning on the spot, soaking in the cheers. Shoto took off his luxurious fur vest so he wouldn't ruin it. It was as he was folding it and wordlessly setting it over the chair that he realized a hush had fallen over the gathered barbarians. When he turned around... Kotsky was staring at him, lips twisted in that dangerous, disdainful smile. Prince? He taunted. Shoto tore a strip of leather from the decorative wraps on his pants and used it to tie his hair back. King. The hush got even quieter. Whispers giggles. Someone yelled Shoto's name encouragingly, and a few more people joined in. These people, they just wanted a good fight. Shoto thought of the simmering fog of fury he'd been living in for the past 24 hours, and he resolved to give them one. He used magic to step into the ring, too, created a staircase of ice, and walked down it while Koski gave him a narrowed-eyed smirk and mouth. Show off. 
when Shoto got close enough to him that Koski could speak quietly enough that no one else could hear, he said, You don't have to do this, princess. No, I really think I do, Shoto replied. <laughs> You're not going to like the fight you find here. Kotsky hissed. I know how you pampered Eastern nobles fight. There's no, there's a reason I wiped out half your father's platoons with less than half as many soldiers. Shoto's skin was singing. His head was a single solid rush of exuberance that he was having a hard time controlling. He knew he wasn't thinking clearly. He knew he was being brash and foolish. Rebellious, Enji would say. So rebellious. But Shoto didn't care. Shoto hated this man. He hated everything about him, and he hated the awful, helpless feeling that had been living in his chest since he got here. That had been living in his chest his whole fucking life. And Kotsky had asked if anyone wanted to challenge him, and yes, Shoto did. Shoto really truly did. Shoto squared his shoulders. You stole my fight. Kotsky grinned at him, really truly grinned, and he looked at Shoto the way he had the day they'd met, when he'd goaded Shoto into a temper just to watch him burn. Shoto's head started to buzz. He was really going to enjoy this. Koski cracked his knuckles, and the sound startled Shoto so bad he slid away from Koski on a sheen of ice. Koski grinned at him and gathered onlookers watched as Shoto scowled furiously and threw himself at Koski full tilt because he could. Koski's expression dropped, and he dodged the ball of fire that was Shoto's entire left shoulder easily enough that he could counter. Shoto had known Koski would dodge such a sloppy attack. He'd known, too, that Koski would counter. And when he twisted, fast. Fuck, he was so fast. Flinging his, uh, his arm out like a war hammer and propelling his fist with a short, hot blast of fire, Shoto blocked with his right arm. He heard Koski hiss in shock, hopefully pain. Shoto had wrapped his whole arm in so much ice that he could only hold it up long enough to counter before the weight of it dragged his hand down. Kotsky propelled his fist into icy armor like stone, and Shoto didn't feel a thing except satisfaction when Kotsky jerked his hand away and lashed out with another. Shoto ducked, flowing under Kotsky's outreached arm and landing a fiery punch to Kotsky's ribs. But before he could follow through, Koski was propelled away from him and landed, panting, halfway across the ring. Shoto straightened. Koski stared at him, a strange look on his face, and it struck Shoto that the onlookers had gotten alarmingly quiet. Koski spared a brief moment to look down at the burn spreading across his ribs. And then he held up one hand so quickly, Shoto didn't really see him move. 
Shoto threw himself sideways and just barely avoided the blast of fire so hot it seared the white hair from Shoto's arm. Shoto straightened up and then had to dodge another and another, and when he tried to dart in closer again, Kotsky kept his distance, peppering Shoto with huge blasts of steaming air. The crowd wanted to the coward wanted to keep his distance. Shoto could play that game very well. The next time Koski tried to blast him, Shoto swallowed his paltry explosion up with a wall of flame so huge it made the crowd gasp and lurch backwards from the heat in the ring. And Shoto stoked it, fanned it, made it massive, because Koski really had no fucking idea who he was dealing with and Shoto was going to show him. It burned. It burned Shoto. Like standing in the sun too long. It made him sweat, made the skin on his arms go red and the air around him warp. But he still made it higher. Through the wavering air streams, he saw Kotsky stumble away, hand up to block his face, and Shoto furiously burned just a little more. He lost sight of Kotsky in the flames. He was going to burn the whole damn ring to the ground and every single barbarian with it. He heard the hiss of air that told him he'd misstepped. He didn't even turn his head, just dropped the fire and brought up a fan of ice on his right side that was shattered seconds later by an explosion. Shoto didn't turn his head then when he was wrenched away and saw Kotsky grinning at him, a truly crazed expression in his eyes. And then he laughed. He laughed, and Shoto hated him, and he really had me fooled, Haffy. Kotsky said loudly, What the fuck were they thinking, wrapping you in silk and calling you civil? Something in Shoto shattered. Somehow, even now, he'd been holding back, thinking instead of acting, his father's voice in his head every time he used his fire. But then something cracked, and Shoto heard himself bellow like a bull, and he took one of Kotsky's tricks for his own without thinking about it. He iced the ground and slid forward, and used a magic gout of flame to shove himself at Kotsky, intent on breaking that stupid manic grin. Kotsky couldn't dodge, so he laughed again and met Shoto full-tilted chest to chest, fist to fist, and they brawled like Shoto had never been allowed to do back home. He wanted to break his fist on Kotsky's face. The problem was, Kotsky well, was well suited to close-range combat. He grinned, and he met Shoto measure for measure, and somewhere along the way, Shoto realized his skin was too hot and too cold at once, and Kotsky had been meticulously, furiously wearing him down, pressing in all the right places so Shoto never really fell back on the offensive. Shoto needed to think. He needed to outsmart Kotsky just as much as overpower him, destroy him completely. That's what Shoto wanted. But for that, he needed to think. 
He'd been using his right side defensively, taking Kotsky's hits and cushioning them with the plates of ice. Kotsky had noticed, and he was trying to get around. To hit Shoto on his left, Shoto wouldn't let him. But he had another trick he hadn't tried yet. When Kotsky aimed a truly terrifying kick at Shoto's midsection, Shoto twisted, put his right side out, and instead of a plate of ice, he called up spikes. He heard. Kotsky gasped, and even though his foot shattered a few of the spikes, he still had to pull back or risk impaling himself on more. Shoto melted them quickly, created a plume of steam that let him fall back. He wanted to pummel Koski into the dirt, but the fact was, he was better at medium range, and Koski wanted to pull him in close. Koski dashed forward, tw- face twisted, trying to close the distance Shoto had created. And with one twist of his foot, Shoto sent a wave of ice to coat the ground of the entire ring. It was a lot of magic, cast very quickly, and a chill shook Shoto's bones. The sweat on his chest cooled into lacy frost, but he shoved the discomfort away. Kotsky's feet shot out from under him, and he went down hard. He popped back up a split second later, hands up, watching Shoto, and then blasted the ice around his feet. Shoto called it back again, kept filling the places Kotsky was trying to clear out. Shoto had no problem moving around the ice. Kotsky was having a harder time of it. Kotsky paused, looking Shoto in the eye, and then he fucking grinned again. And just as another wave of rage crashed over Shoto's head, Kotsky's feet left the ground and they didn't come back down. Shit, 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 the bastard was. Shoto threw himself sideways, threw up a plume after plume of fire as Kotsky. What the fuck was he even doing? He was flinging himself through the air, falling, falling, and then shooting back up, and working his way closer to Shoto every time. He dodged Shoto's streams of fuck. He dodged Shoto's streams of flame like it was nothing, and Shoto, Shoto needed to go bigger, bigger, more. Koski went higher. Shoto tried to match him, let the inferno he'd created climb and climb until the whole ring was his own personal pyre. Hot. It was, it was very hot, and he'd lost sight. There. Shoto hurled a spear of ice, not caring anymore if it landed just right, it might kill him. Maybe he hadn't cared to begin with. The fire flickered. No, hold it. And a full-body shiver rattled Shoto's teeth. Kotsky dove at him, and Shoto flung up both hands, fire and ice swirling together in a steamy blast, and he didn't know what he was doing anymore, but it hurt. Shit, it hurt. His hands. Come on, princess! Kotsky crowed, and Shoto really was too slow this time. Kotsky hit him in the face, 
full force, and Shoto went to his knees. No, no, absolutely not. He'd burn him. That was it. He'd just... The fire flared higher. No, it flickered and fell. No, higher. Shoto pushed, and Kotsky shielded his face. But then it... It... No, why wasn't it? Shoto's hands shook, and his teeth shook, and his head throbbed, and enough. Fuck you. Shoto, stop. Shoto couldn't see anymore. All he saw was warped air, and all the little fires all around him he was still clinging to. Shoto, shut up. He was too hot, too cold, or... His sweat kept freezing in his hands, his left hand. He watched the skin on his palms blister and crack and curl, and then Kotsky bellowed, Enough! And Shoto realized he was laying on his back. He had been for a while now, hands outstretched, trying to. Kotsky bent over him, one foot on his chest, face dripping sooty sweat on Shoto's skin. He was bruised and battered and burned and bleeding, chest heaving for air, and he wasn't smiling anymore. But, but there was that expression on his face, that look at it in his eyes like maybe, maybe Shoto was worth looking at. Shoto's hands only fell to the ground when he couldn't hold them up anymore. And the barbarians deafened him. Kotsky collapsed in the sudden relaxed heap, sitting on the ground beside Shoto with his hands and knees and on his knees and his chest still heaving for air. Shoto gave him one dizzy moment to close his eyes, and then he tried to sit up. His Arms and legs felt like weights, and he rolled onto his hands and knees, hips in the air and forehead on the ground, and that was as far as he could get. Hey, don't, Kotsky said, a voice bright and cheerful, and he reached out to touch Shoto's shoulder. Shoto swatted him away. Do not touch me, savage. Aw, come off your bullshit, Happy. That was fucking amazing. Shoto turned his head. His chest hurt. Fuck did you learn to fight like that? Why the shit did your family have you locked away in some shit palace instead of out on the field? Shitty fucking waste. The ground in front of Shoto's face was wavering. He was bleeding from somewhere, and it dripped into the dirt. Kotsky threw himself back into the dirt and dragged a hand over his sweaty forehead. Shit. <laughs> you. Fuck. And he laughed again, bright and real, and Shoto had the strangest thought that he never really heard genuine laughter. Oh, Fuck, we gotta get up. Can you stand? Shit. He groaned and sat himself back up. Hey, are you okay? Shoto blinked and shook his head and tried to sit back on his heels, but he really couldn't. 
listen to him. Koski said quietly, now that Shoto had some air, the rushing in his head was fading a little. The barbarians were screaming so loudly, Shoto wondered if they were, were hurting themselves. Someone, several someones, a whole crowd of someones were chanting his name. Shoto, Shoto, Shoto. Kotsky hauled himself to his feet and then bent down to touch Shoto again. Shoto tried to shove him away, but he still yanked Shoto up and put him on his feet, and Shoto tried very hard to stand. But he ended up just tottering for a few seconds and then falling full-bodied into Kotsky, which... Fucking hell. Kotsky couldn't hold him, and he sat back down in the dirt, hand on Shoto's shoulders. And Shoto tried to heave himself away, but could His body didn't want to work. Kotsky said, hey, why are you so cold? Shoto was. He was shaking. Kotsky's skin was hot and damp from sweat, and the longer Shoto lay there, the more he hated himself, and also the more he realized he'd pushed himself too far. A very strong hands gripped under his arms and pulled him up, and Shoto heard Ida say, that was incredible, your highness. Kirishima was there, too, helping Kotsky to his feet, and Kotsky wasn't leaning on Kiri, on Kiri nearly as much as Shoto was leaning on Ida. Really, Ida was just helping hold him up, but Kotsky was still leaning, just a little. Actually, he was limping. I will read the rest after I get off of work. Um, so that is part one of chapter four. Um, we still have a good bit to go for part two. This is a longer chapter. So yeah, um, I hope you really enjoy reading or listening to me read this. And I will record the rest after work. <laughs>